This is Planted, a podcast that encourages us to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and established in the faith. Today, Pastor Matt leads us through a discussion about the eternal covenant and what was that conversation that took place before the foundation of the world, and who did it include? Hello everyone, this is Pastor Matt Grimm with the Plain of Podcast. I'm joined by Thad Keenan once again. Hello Pastor Matt, it's good to be here. How are you doing today? Doing good, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent and uh, I'm looking forward to today's uh, discussion. Yeah, yeah, I, we are... Uh, we had finished up our Colossians series and have done some kind of one-off things, and um, just in, in prayer and consideration, thinking about what to do next, uh, talked about with that about doing something a little bit more along, uh, specifically about Reformed theology, which we both would would kind of, if we had to be labeled, we would be labeled in in that camp from a theological standpoint. Uh, uh, and with that, I would also just. We'll probably hear be hearing the term covenant theology because really reform theology at its root is a covenant um, theology, and so we'll talk a little bit about what that means. Uh, but we thought that that might be good. To don't know how long this might go. We we might get done in three conversations. We might go further, but uh, wanted to just kind of do that because I think we'll inform even stuff that you've already maybe heard from us in, in our previous podcasts and even moving forward because we'll, we've referred to it at times, but we haven't necessarily got into it a lot. So I, again, I don't know how in-depth we will be, but I, I thought it would be good to have us have some conversations about that. And I proposed to Thad in talking about this that uh, around the topic of what I, I labeled the eternal covenant. Or uh, and sometimes even above that is sometimes they call it the eternal decree of God, which which um, flows into a, a bunch of everything else, but really becomes the foundation for a lot of Reformed theology. So Thad, just to kind of uh, introduce it into conversation with you with an opening question: when when you think of God's eternal purpose, I'll put it that way: His eternal purpose, the eternal. Uh, desires. Certain words, like from the Westminster Confession and other places, tend to come out. So when you think of that, what, what just comes to mind? When you think God's eternal purposes, what what pops to your the forefront of your mind? Well, I think maybe a predecessor or a preceding question to that might be, why did God create anything? Uh-huh. You know, why does he have creation? He created the universe, and then he created the animal kingdom and mankind, and then he put a special decree upon man that um, that they would be created in his image. Yeah. And what does that really mean, right? And so there's a purpose for mankind that has has this uh, this conscious mind mm-hmm. that recognizes his creator. Yeah. In a, in a very special way, right. right? And so there's a um, there's a relationship between God and his creation, but a special relationship between God and mankind. Yeah. So. The theoretical question is that people discuss all the time is like, why am I here? Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, so when you start with that question, that goes all the way to a point in time that you have to ask the creator that question. Mm. Right. And does he answer that and how? Yeah. And so that's where we go to uh, what the word I think that you may have already used is his decree. Yeah. God had 
you know, sometime before the creation of this universe, he decreed something to take place with right. a set of elements that would be um, to be put in action through through time. And so we talk about his decree. Um, we talk about being God's sovereign decree because he's the king of everything. So right. he says how it's going to happen. There's the decree. And then what's really big, I think, on the heels of that, of course, as you mentioned already, are things like the the promise, God's promise, and his covenant. What does yeah. it mean? What does even a covenant mean? We hear this word throughout the scriptures. Yeah. You might be thinking right now, oh, yeah, I know about the Abrahamic covenant. I know about you know Moses, the Davidic covenant. Yeah. So what do all those really mean? So maybe right. that's a good place to start your, your thoughts and explain it to people what a covenant really is. Yeah. Um, well, I, I do want to back up a little bit back to the, that kernel decree and purpose before I get into covenant, because one of the words that, as it relates to the purpose of mankind, which I agree also then relates back up to the greater purpose, which is ultimately the fulfillment of what God desires, is um, is his own glory. Oh, yeah. Right? And so when I think of, you know, what the Westminster Confession, what's the purpose of, or the chief end of man, right, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? right, right. Well, well, the question is, I was finding it interesting that the, the started with man in that, but but man to be a reflection of God. Why would God want want His own glory? I mean, I know that I, there are some people who hear that and they're like, "Well, God is that kind of sounds arrogant of God." You know, I thought, you know, isn't it a bad thing to lift yourself up and and things like that? So that's often putting God in man's shoes <laughs> when right. we're supposed to be in His shoes. We're supposed to be reflecting Him. Why is it? the ultimate good that God be glorified, you know, becomes my question. If, if that's really the case, it, one, we have to ask ourselves, does the scriptures affirm that? Does Do the scriptures affirm that? And we can look at, at some uh, to do that. But then secondly, if, if so, how do we frame that the right way? Because I think part of the uncomfortableness is, is we have God in the wrong frame, you know, within the wrong view of that. So, for for God's eternal, de- if God's eternal decree is is to glorify Himself, and some, the the reason He creates the world, the reason He creates mankind, the reason that He that uh, that He has ordained history to unfold the way that it has, and that He's um, going to bring about its culmination is all to glorify Himself, then that glory must be good. Or we're all a part of a story in a creation that is that is somehow warped, um, and it is somehow um, think about a, a dystopia. You know, there's yeah. these novels and, and <laughs> movies and stuff. These dystopian societies that they're all you know um, where it, it's purposefully dysfunctional in that sense. And uh, is that the story that we're living in? Um, and did did is God this? Um, maniacal God who created this dystopia that we're having to endure, and he, you know, and, and uh, that, uh, and I think there are some people who have that framework of God, and which leads them into things like agnosticism and atheism, because whatever God they have perceived or or, or have heard about, they can't reconcile that to be a good thing. Right. The first question a lot of people ask: If God is good, why do bad things happen? Yeah. Right. right. And. Uh, the place to go with that is to, you know, chapter three of the scriptures, when we see that God is in relationship with his creation, he sets Adam and Eve in a in a perfect garden, if you will, mm-hmm. the, the temple of God, so to speak. 
and um, he's in a good relationship with them. And here they are, good and perfect creatures, right? right? But something comes along where rather than using your terminology, glorifying God, they decide to do something selfish for themselves and kind of give themselves the glory where they disobey a command for God. Yeah, yeah. Right, and so that that is where the crash happens, right? <laughs> the, the stock market drops, <laughs> the value of every thing goes down and, and, and things, everything changes from there, but God doesn't leave them um, just to rot in that position. Right, right. Yeah, so, so really I, I think that we need to kind of look a little bit at this whole idea of God's glory that can be, we, we can use that term in various contexts. I think about the sporting arena, right? That we talk about um, the glory of winning the championship or winning a, an accolade award. You know, somebody, the glory of being the most valuable player for the season sure. or, or of the Super Bowl or winning the Super Bowl. That, that's the glory of the, you know, and so forth. And so when we, in that context, what do, what do, what do we mean by glory? You know, what, what does it mean? It, it's, it's like some kind of exaltation, recognition, um, of uh, something it can be often like a reputation. You've achieved a significant reputation because you've 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 done something significant, right? right? And so glory um, does have this idea of significance, of notoriety, and so forth. When we, I think, we use that in in our terminology, whether it be in business or industry or politics or um, athletics. Would you, would you say that that's kind of how we tend to use the word glory? I, I do. I think so. Um, uh, maybe if we use the term uh, what we take credit for, you know, we deserve credit. If we, uh-huh. if we do, um, if, we, if we catch the football and score right. a touchdown, we deserve credit to get a little bit of glory for that, right? So yeah. that's maybe one aspect of it. But the ideal Christian, for example, who proclaims the word of God or who is living out his life is not doing it for our own glory, yeah. but to God's glory, which means to his credit, if right. you will. I, I don't know if that's a synonym or not. I just thought of that this very second. So, but it, it seems to fit um, mm-hmm. to, to some aspect because we want God to receive what his due credit is for his creation. He's the one that's given us the ability to do these things, right? Not, not so we can be self-righteous in them, but so that his holiness, his, his light would shine. Right. Yeah. And, and I think when we think about it in terms of religious, right, or faith-oriented glory, we often um, associate with things like praise and worship uh, and so forth. Who is worthy of glory? That is worthy to be praised or worship. And in yeah. that sense, there is a reputation involved. Um, God's reputation is at stake um, in the way his people represent him act on his behalf, but then also when we gather together to sing songs about God, um, to look at his story, his scriptures about himself, it is to, I think the goal of the, we do that, we want God's reputation enhanced, lifted up. God is worthy of worship, and it's because of his glory and all of those things. So I think it's Important to think about that, that the scriptures are presenting God as one worthy of, of good reputation, of the best, right? And if so, if something is good or the best and worthwhile, 
then wouldn't you want that proclaimed? Wouldn't you rather have the manifestation of all that is good rather than anything that is not, right? And so in that sense, it's not inappropriate or um, somehow unworthy to to want to bring about glory when it is the ultimate good. Right. 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 Was it Moses that uh, said, show me your glory? Yeah. You know, what does that mean? And how do you see glory, right? Yeah. So there's something that's almost manifest right. in powerful light, if yeah. you will. And maybe that's because the purity of God, um, as it talks about that the light displaces the darkness right. and the darkness does not comprehend it or um, it can't stop it. Yeah. You know, and so there's this, there's a sense um, that if you go into a dark room and close the doors and everything's dark, if you light a match, you can see everything, <laughs> you know, just with a little bit of light. Right. So, but God, because he's pure glory, if you will, and mm-hmm. all worthy of that, it says that no man can see his face and live. Right. This is a really powerful aspect yeah. of God. And so, and that's one of the way his glory, his splendor, his majesty, his awesomeness is portrayed is that word in Hebrew, uh, kabod, I think it is, is is the, um, it sometimes can just be something that's shining so brightly, you know, that is, that is magnificent in, in that visible form. Um, but it, but it goes deeper than just the visibleness of it. But, but there's, but with that, when you get something so pure and so awesome and so wonderful, there's also a little bit of, with, where the, of dangerousness to it, right? That it can blind you. I mean, that it's like getting too close to the sun. Yeah. The sun is a good thing. It provides light and life, you know, to the to the solar system. But yet, if you look directly at it, it can be a bad thing, right. you know. And when you the planets that are too close to it, <laughs> you know, aren't sustaining life, right? And so there's just there there's a there's a little bit of that that I think for humans for us to try to grasp that um, it's our tendency to project human qualities upon God to understand Him. When, when it's actually, we need to see that, no, we're the derivative of God. The God is not our derivative. Right. 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 And so I think that's the starting point. And that, that even goes back to the, the purpose of man is to give God glory, is we have to see, okay, we need to understand God first and seek him. Now, can we fully uh, understand him in, in, in his fullness? Well, no, but we can truly understand him as he reveals himself to us. And so that is becomes the pursuit of knowing his his purposes, his decrees, and, and so forth. And so um so yeah, I think so those are some things that I think will be important uh, as we have this discussion. Maybe maybe one that we'll do in the future is even the name of God because he if if it's about his reputation, he wants his name um exalted you know in his creation. Right. So what is so What's his name? What does the name of God represent? Um, well, who do the people? What are the people of God supposed to be? Those things. Um, but it, but it, underlying all this, we know that one of the difficulties of this is we know that things aren't quite the way he originally wanted them to be. Right, right. So um, the question is: This is where you get into more. It, it's philosophical. It's very theological, but theology is more than philosophy. I mean, theology and ultimately biblical theology is really trying to understand God's revelation to us to understand the greater things of the world. So, but I think one of the things that happens is, okay, if if everything's supposed to be good, right? Back to the question you posed earlier, it's the problem of evil, right? Why, Why would God 
allow this? Why does God permit this to happen? Because even that should have, it seems to be, if the eternal decree is for his glory and for his good reputation, there's got to be something about even his permission of of evil to enter the world and, and for mankind to have chosen against him and for things to go awry as they seem to be. Right. Even that ultimately in its end has to have a greater purpose and glory to it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, in our little peewee brains, it's hard for us to comprehend that because we think that if something bad takes place uh, in our lifetime or here on earth, let's just say a child gets sick, right? Um, that that would have a diminishing effect mm-hmm. on glorifying God, but it doesn't, right? Because God only allows that which most glorifies him. So somehow the world that he created, because he's the one that sets the rules, right? He allows certain things to take place. Yeah. He Even in if you look in, in Romans chapter 9, there was a particular reason why he let Pharaoh do what he did in suppressing his people for 400 yeah. years. Why? So that his glory would be man, manifest, that his right. perfection in redeeming a people unto himself would be shown. Yeah. So it's a, it's, a, it's a strange thing and we can't comprehend it, yeah. but we can trust God with it. And then the next aspect of that is that we as humans... Um, are to glorify ourselves, and and we don't really have any innate glory. But there is one man that can receive glory. Yeah, and that's actually where I wanted to go. So I want to do spend as a planted podcast. We always were commanded to spend some time in the scriptures and not <laughs> yeah. just theologize about things without referencing um, scripture itself. Um, so I do want to turn to John seventeen um, verses one to five as kind of an entry place into this because. As, as Christians, as one who we know our faith in, in, in ultimate reality and purpose is found in Christ, right? Um, we saw that in our Colossians series, just how much in Christ comes out in, in, in Paul's letter mm-hmm. there. There's something about, un, to really fully understand this, um, Jesus is going to be the revelation of this. And so, um, so we want to begin our looking at, at this through Jesus conversation with his father, his prayer um, that he has before he's getting ready to go to the cross. So, so um, as we think about the context here, he's, he's, he's part of what they call the upper room discourse in John, uh, in John the last week of Jesus' life. He's, he's in the upper room with his disciples, celebrating the Lord's Supper, teaching them about, um, uh, about what it means to, to really, truly um, follow in the footsteps of their master. Right, and and then when he's when he's done with uh, teaching them about the gift of the Spirit, he washes their feet. He he ha- he prays this prayer to the Father, and so we're only going to look at the first five verses here. But it really, I think, starts to give an impression for us about the nature of how we need to approach the conversation of God's glory and His purposes, as seen through the eyes of the second person of the Trinity who's come in human form to fulfill God's purposes, <laughs> right? right? So, yeah. um, And before you read, maybe yeah. um, this, it might be beneficial for us and the listener to keep in mind, this goes back to the question that we were talking about earlier is why, you know, why the creation yes. and what was God trying to accomplish and what does this mean for mankind and what is the larger purpose? And I think you've already said that, but it, it does go back to 
um, the beginning, right? And yeah. so this is going to be made clear, uh, very clear here as Jesus um, begins his prayer. Yeah. And so at the end of John chapter 16, you know, Jesus has been talking about the fact that he's coming, he's fulfilling what his father desires. And, and that I'll just start in, in verse 29 of chapter 16. He says, his disciples said, ah, you, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Because in verse 20, he says, I came from the father and I've come into the world and now I'm leaving the world and going to the father. So he, he's talking about the fact he's going to, he's, you know, going to be crucified. He's going to die. And so verse 30, he says, now we know that you know all things and do not need any one to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. This is the disciple speaking about Jesus. And Jesus answered them. He says, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So he wants them to take heart, because trouble times are coming. Um, but, but he's victorious. He's overcome the world. Mm-hmm. So when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. There's that word glorify we were talking about, right? <laughs> right, right. So he, he, he opens his prayer saying, glorify the son that the son may glorify you. That's the, that's the eternal purpose <laughs> right there. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. What? Come on. Okay, so he only used glory about, what, six times there? Yeah, um, right. But, um, so let's, I'm going to jump to verse 2. Since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you've given him, it seems to me that there's something about the glory of the Son that's glorifying the Father that has to do again with people. Um, back to kind of your opening comments about Genesis, and there's something wrapped up in all of this that that relates to humanity. Because my assumption here is that when he's talking about giving eternal life to all you've given him, he's talking about humans here, right? right? For sure. So I've I've heard it said, and we believe I mean, God doesn't need humans. You know, I mean, he God could exist without us, but there's something about us and his creation of us that is so dear to him, important to him, that it actually gives him glory. That that we, there's something about humans that he intended to actually enhance his reputation in some way, or, you know, that is so significant. That is, one, it's hard to wrap my brain around sometimes, but two, I think that is one of the, we can fall off the log in some senses of, of what this means on either side. Yeah. It's a very difficult thing to, to, to try to handle this topic because we're dealing with an eternal yeah. being, right? right? Something that has a seed, it exists within his yeah. self. Right. And we're not dealing with um, a God 
who is alone in this eternity because he's triune, yeah. right? He exists right. in um, in oneness, um, in essence, but he has union as Father, Son, in the, in the persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you're right. He doesn't have a need for anything, but um, in the way that he's created mankind to have a special relationship that is to be created in his image, to have that that uh, fellowship with him, he also has done something similar with the angelic mm-hmm. creation. And what does the angelic creation, if you were to just take a glance at Isaiah 6, what did the angels do while they're encompassing the throne? They're singing out, holy, holy, holy right. is the Lord. And what are they doing? They're giving glory to God and, and singing his praise. And so God is creating creatures, the angelic realm and humans, mm-hmm. even even the animal kingdom, or even inanimate objects in right. some sense. The mountains, the trees, right, the seas. Are, are glorifying God. Right. And so wait a minute, you're saying that God is creating things to worship him. That's how this goes yeah. back to saying, well, this is a little bit arrogant, isn't it? <laughs> well, only... Not with God, it's not, not right. But, no, because not he's the creator. He can he can create things yeah. for his purposes. Right. And what's what's the great news about this for us? We have the benefit of having life, having fellowship with God, yeah. and with that special relationship that he's talking about here right. to be given eternal life with him. So something that Christ has accomplished. So it's interesting, this language here, and I'll just speak for another second. You can correct, mm-hmm. you can jump in anytime you want, but you say here that um, in verse two, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life, this is what we just said, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So this is the, fa- the son is giving eternal life to all whom the father has given to the son. This is kind of a, re- a reciprocating mm-hmm. gift, yeah. if you will, right? So the Father is giving to the Son a love offering of people. This is talking about mm-hmm. humans. This is where you were going with that, right? But it's the Son that's accomplishing the redemption for yes. those who have fallen in right. sin. This is exactly what we were talking about earlier, right? Because mankind right. chose to glorify himself, right? We we, we right. do our own thing. If you don't want to, if you don't want to blame Adam and Eve for it, just look at your own sin, <laughs> right? Yeah, well, and what's interesting too is that that's one of the things you're talking about—the angelic realm and also the inanimate objects, or even the the beasts of the field or whatever—is that there's something there is something unique about humans in that that we are being offered redemption. Where the as far as I know, the angelic realm was not being offered redemption, right? Right. And the rest of creation is dependent upon humans as its rulers the, the, of earthly creation, right? And so its glory is is somehow tied to our glory um that that is that is is to be a reflection of God and so um so yeah there's something about this the nature of humanity that is um it's not only t- that is tied to the glory of God uh, but it's also something as you as you just said that's tied to the relationship between the father and the son and and I would say even the spirit too because the we was the spirit applies to us that which the the son accomplishes um for the Father, you know, going back to Colossians, uh, it's all over the place. Yeah. When we were talking about that, the Son is the expressed image yes. of the Father, right? Right. It's the, it's the image of the Son. So, what does Jesus say? If yeah. you've seen me, you've seen right. the Father, right. right? And so, He's our example. You know, yeah. if, we, if we can't comprehend God, if we can see what Christ has done. 
That's the character right. of God. Right. And so well, I bring this up because what I want to investigate maybe in, in the next episode or, or some uh, in future podcasts is there seems to be this agreement between the Father and the Son. And that agreement between the Father and Son concerns humans. So there was, so what goes through my head, and I, I can't say that I can like pull out a scripture that confirms this, but I'm, my imagination starts to run wild. Right. And we start to wonder about passages like Ephesians chapter one, where it talks about um, God predestined these things in Christ before the foundation of the world, right? That, that we would be able to uh, be redeemed, be reconciled to him. What John uses the words eternal life, that eternal life isn't just me floating in heaven, you know, with a harp singing kumbaya. You know, something that's people, some perception of eternal life. Eternal life, no, is that we have fellowship with God. That's what that's what John chapter 17 seems to be saying here, right? That that this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. Right. That, wow. that we can have this intimate knowledge of God and Jesus Christ whom you sent, that 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 isn't when I for just for when after I die it starts when when that life is given to me that rebirth even now and so but but what's going on in my imagination is if this is happening before the foundations of the world as Ephesians one seems to be telling us mm-hmm. um, I'll just read that real quick starting in verse three of chapter one blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. So this happened before the foundation of the world. So here's where my mind goes. Well, before you say that, okay. um, read, read. you read half of verse 5. Start, start read all of verse 5. He predestined us. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll read it because okay. I'm right there. It says that he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace. To the grace. praise of the glorious <laughs> grace, right? There's the, that continues on to verse six, yeah. but the, that's that's the yeah. essence of what, of what yeah, we're talking that's about. What right? it's, it's God's will. It's God's purpose. It's His desire. It's His decree, right? And it's for His glorious you know, purposes that His grace be shown. All those things. And so, here's where my brain goes. Uh, and again, it's hard because we're talking about eternity. We're talking about God who exists out of outside of time and space, right? The eternal Son. Um, along with the Father and the Spirit. But my, here's where my imagination goes. So before God ever spoke anything into existence, he had a conversation, the Father and the Son had a conversation that basically said, hey, if, we're, if we do this project, if we do this thing that we say we're going to do, you're going to, Jesus, uh, the Son, whatever his, his name for him, <laughs> yeah. you know, the Father saying to the Son in our terminology, mm-hmm. um, you know, if we do this, you're going to have to die as, as one of those people that I make. If, 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 if we do this um, and we make all this stuff, uh, it's all going to lead to this. You're going to have to be born as one of them. You're going to have to die um, in their place, and be raised up. Yeah, and then for the rest of eternity, <laughs> be in the form of a man. Yeah, right, because he's raised as a man. Yeah, right. So he's 
It's Christ on the throne yeah. in, in his regenerated yeah. flesh, his resurrected yeah. flesh, which is our hope. So I don't know if that's actually how the conversation No, went, I know. But, but see, well, in my little brain, that's how I work it out. Well, right? it's, it's, it's so ridiculous that I've put it this way, and maybe you were in class when I when I said this to, to the guys, but I think, I think I heard this from Missler, and I don't know who he got it from, but... Here's how the conversation goes, right? If we if we take God down a level, we say, okay, this yeah. is me, um, right? And 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 the and for the relative speaking, right. is dogs. It'd be like, uh, hey, son, you know what? See those dogs down there? You're gonna you're gonna get a group of those dogs, right? But in order to do that, you're gonna have to right. die for them. But first, you're gonna have to become one. You're gonna have to become a dog, right? Yeah. And not only just a dog, but a chihuahua. <laughs> Right, the worst of the worst dogs, right? And then you're gonna re, you're gonna die for him, and then you're gonna be a, a dog forever, hmm. right? But there's there's this relative aspect of it that as Christ humbled himself, right? He humbled mm-hmm. himself to a servant, right? He he didn't become less God, but he added on flesh, yeah, right. Exactly. It's a, it's a it's a it's a whole nother conversation, but this is the precious price. Of our redemption, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's of infinite value because an infinite valued person died for for yeah, our salvation, yeah. right? And so I think there are two things happening there. One, it's that act. Oh, we sometimes people call it the Christ event: his life, death, resurrection. Mm-hmm. All, I mean, his ascension <laughs> and session, his sitting at the right hand of God. That entire Christ event exalted the son and ex- therefore exalted God in a way that previously had not God had not been glorified. And so Philippians 2 talks about this, right? Mm. <laughs> um, verse 8, and therefore being found in human form, he humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right. Right. And so on the so on one hand, this ultimately God determined in his will that this would be to his great glory. And then with that, it then then it also says something too about in his making of humans, right? That we have this if if Jesus is to become a human and he is to die for us and to redeem us that it it does reveal something about our significance right and it's still a derived significance it's still all in being made in his image but it even more so in in God being willing to die for that right mm-hmm. that we have the opportunity to represent God in in that unique way right that he would only die for humans it, it just chokes you up, right? Right. right. Uh, when we see that, that that's his ultimate aim and desire for himself, even is is uh, is remarkable uh, to try to comprehend. Um, but that's the picture in which I think this whole conversation, this whole framework, has to happen. Right. That that ultimately any to to enter into the conversation with some kind of um, intelligent reception of what God has revealed, 
you kind of have to know the whole story. I mean, you have to know Jesus is the pinnacle, right? Jesus is the ultimate. Well, end. that's absolutely true. And of course, this conversation could go on forever, and it does, because <laughs> we we talk about the entirety of God's yeah. Word, and here it is. But um, what Jesus says here in the beginning of, of chapter 17, halfway through verse 17, is he says, Father, the hour has come. Mm-hmm. Well, what hour is he talking about? And and since when did it begin? Well, this is the time that we're talking about, that conversation, you know, that in, eternal yeah. conversation, the triune conversation that says, this is going to be the mission, yeah. right? And it's going to be manifest in time. So from Adam and Eve plus 4,000 years, here's Jesus saying, hey, this is this is it. The hour has come. I'm about to accomplish yeah. the redemption process, process which yeah. is what? price, the price of my blood, yeah. right, to buy this elect group mm-hmm. of people for myself to your glory, yeah. right? This is this is the culmination of all of history, and that's why... Um, yeah, the scriptures talk something about the fullness of time. <laughs> exactly, and, and there's there's going to be some more to that. We're still we're still living out some history here, yeah. right? But what happens at the end? I mean, at, when, at Christ's resurrection, he said, "All authority has been given to me." Yeah. Right? There's there's more redemption to take place, and right. then there's there, there's Christ is continuously bringing people to Himself until that number is complete, and then we're going to see. Um, where the Father says, "Son, go get them," right? And that's going to be the second coming. And then, right. then eternity, but spec. We don't have to speculate about. Although we're, we we kind of do because it's fun to say why and do all of these questions. Right. But there's so much context when we're, when we're when we're reading these things that all we do is trust the God that's never lied to us and believe what He said. And so um, we read these things, and it says, "Hey, there was an eternal plan, and now the hour has come." And what was the what was the idea to accomplish this goal? of all the people that you've given yeah. to me, right? Yeah. So we, we we believe that, and we don't have to leave it for the the why discussion, right? The, the why is answered what? For his glory. Yeah, and, 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 and I think from that, we, we say, okay, if it's for his glory, then, I, then I'm coming with a, a preconception, an assumption that God is good. And all these things he's doing is good, right? And so, and and we do that by faith. But with that faith, I think we also start to see that faith is not apart from evidence, right? Oh yeah, right. Sure. Is, but you, you, so there, are faith. There are some things I don't yet see, but yet uh, he, God does reveal things. And so that's what I'd like to do in, in maybe the, the next podcast and some future ones as we look more at this this pre-existing agreement that seems to be there in Jesus but with with the Father and the Son. And I mean, we will we'll even talk about how the Spirit is involved in that. But this agreement within the Godhead that Jesus would would do this, that that and that agreement seems to have happened before the beginning of the world, before before anything was created. You know, God said, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and so with that, I think we can look for evidences of this. And that really, if we want to ask, answer the question of why evil exists or how come the world seems to be broken, um, and how is that? How is that ultimately? Why did God ordain this? And how is it ultimately going to bring His glory? We we're going to be finding the evidence for that in Jesus. Right. Right. Jesus is is the is going to be the revelation for us to. 
maybe not have every particularity of every answer um, wrapped up in a nice, neat ball for us, but um, but to get closer to that, um, if we're taking any other path other than Jesus, we're going to miss the mark, right? Of 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 finding some resolution in in those things, and so um, so yeah, so that's where I think I'd like to go next time, and we'll maybe look a little bit at more of of and, and wrapped up in all this is is this election of God's people. Right, that that all of it again is in Christ. It it, it doesn't have anything to do with us. Our glory is is again derived, and it, it's and we're going to find any of our significance and redemption back in Christ. And so right. all the predestination conversation, all the election conversation, all these kind of back to our opening talk about talking about reformed theology and covenant theology. We didn't even really get into covenant today. Um, no, but I think it's something that maybe we should just mention for two yeah. minutes um, uh, because. What we've talked about here in John 17 and, and previous, it, it is about the covenant. It's about a promise, that eternal promise between the that Father agreement, and the Son. That agreement. Right? A, co- a covenant is simply an agreement. Right. right? And so what we should um, really find is that with the other covenants that are spoken of um, in, in the Old Testament in particular, there's a yeah. series of covenants. Um, we're going to see shadows of what that means in Christ. All yes. of those covenants include something, a, a blood sacrifice, for example, yeah. and a promise for a particular people or the mm-hmm. seed, right. you know, and all of this is going to start coming together. And we're going to see that this fulfillment in Christ accomplishing the, the, the work is given in bits and accumulative pieces throughout the entirety of Scripture. Yes, that's right. That's right. And and so we think we are have the benefit of hindsight, <laughs> yeah. right? And 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 the the fulfillment of his his written revelation to us uh, to help us with that. But that's where we want to go. We want to go. We want to see that ultimately this is a conversation about God. It's a conversation about Jesus uh, and in his fulfillment of these for humanity. And it's out of that that then we we see humanity's role and purpose and place in this. And so when we get to things like humans wanting to understand his eternal purposes, his, his decrees, why he ordains things to happen for that reason, that we have a significant role in that, but it's always a secondary, we are the secondary cause. We're, the, we're second in all that. There's a primary mover, primary purpose in all this, that, that, that it is for his glory, right? And we trust that that is good. Right, and that's what the scriptures continue to tell us, even though the scriptures is f- are filled with a bunch of bad stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, right. uh, and so who do we put the onus on these things for? Uh, and so, um, so yeah, so uh, come back next time as as we as we continue to pursue these things, and and hopefully you'll find them fruitful and beneficial, and 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 Thad and I will enjoy getting into these discussions. Sounds good. We we'll look right. forward to seeing you next time. Yep. hope to see you all next time as we continue our discussion on the covenant and eternal decree of God. Planet is a Cornerstone EPC production, connecting to God, one another, and the world through the love of Jesus. More information can be found at cornerstonebrighton.com. 